Welcome to the Ministry Podcast. It is such a privilege that you would tune in. All of my content is designed to bring hope to the dreamers and doers that Jesus offers us a better way to life and Jesus offers us a better way to lead. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Y'all dress fancy. If you guys are new here, this is not normal. Trust me. Uh, we decided uh, last year we started the tradition of dressing up a little bit fancier for Christmas. I think it's fun, but I'm also, praise God, we don't do this every week. Amen? Amen. I can't move like I normally can. I can't wait to take this off. All right, so we're going to be looking at today, if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at this same exact passage, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, but we are talking about King Herod. Today, we're going to talk about the wise men of the Christmas story. A pastor friend of mine, he was actually my best friend in college, and I tried to get him so badly to come to move to Arizona because uh, he's from Arizona, but he went to Alabama for seminary, and they have taken them him ever since. I'm not bitter, but anyways, there is a story to this. So he went to Alabama, and we were talking a little bit, and he said he was shocked how, like, you know, here in Arizona, people do lights, but it's always like my front yard. It's like a unicorn, and it's Olaf, blow up. and all. Guys, the nativity were sold out. I'll do it next year. But anyway, so he said he was shocked because in Alabama, like every single front yard had the nativity. So we're talking about that a little bit, and he said um, kind of me and him were theological nerds, and so something that bothers us, but not too bad, but kind of is when those nativity sets have the wise men in the nativity because we're going to read today, he was actually, Jesus was two by the time the wise men made it, and so they were not at the nativity scene. That's totally okay if you have that. Don't remove them, whatever. Just, you're wrong, but whatever. Um, But uh, he told me how one time he was shocked because his neighbor, uh, this nativity was set up, and he said, sure, there's the wise men yet again. Okay, I'm not going to be that annoying pastor. But he took a deeper look, and he saw that the wise men had firemen helmets on. And he's thinking, okay, I don't know if this is some weird way to support our firemen. Do they, like, what is this? So eventually they were both cleaning up their front yards at the same time. So he went over to, it was this nice older lady from the South. And, uh, and he just said, hey, hey, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm a seminary student studying to be a pastor and everything. And I just have to ask, why are there firemen helmets on the wise men? And she responded to him, Y'all really don't read your Bible in seminary, do you? Read it. It says right there in the letters, the wise men came from afar. (laughs) All right, aren't you glad you're here today? All right, got the thumbs up. Oh, yeah, that was good. All right, so there is a lot. That's the first joke I'm actually genuinely happy about. Like, y'all actually laugh. There's no pity laugh. Okay, and I Googled it. It wasn't even mine. I'm just kidding. Uh, So that was fun with Tim. Uh, Anyways, there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the wise men, and I actually think we, it's, it's hilarious to me how often we get this story wrong. And I really do believe, I really hope that we get the story right this morning because I think there's a lot of value in it. There's a few people, there's a few different ways that we misunderstand. I think, number one, we misunderstand the wise men. And by the way, we're not sure if there's three wise men. A lot of people grew up three wise We don't know. Read the text. We do know they came from afar. But besides that, we don't know how many of them there were. They did have three gifts. Another thing is they're not kings. 
Um, actually, we didn't sing the song, but there is, this, there is a song called We Three Kings. Beautiful song. Actually, one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's wrong. Uh, they're, they're not kings, and so that's something that I think it's hilarious that we get wrong. They're not at the nativity, but again, that's okay. But I can't help believe, I, I, I have to think, in, in the biblical text, it always referenced men, but, but it doesn't mean that there weren't women there. And I would submit to you, among these wise men were also some wise women. You know why, I think? Two reasons. Number one, they asked for directions. And number two, they gave really good gifts, okay? And so there had to be a woman influence there somewhere, all right? So that's the first thing. I think we misunderstand the wise men a lot. I think the second thing we have to know in context before we really dive into this passage is the Israelites misunderstood the wise men. Notice how it says that they came from the east. It's likely modern-day Iraq, And what they did is they were Eastern, and so they practiced Eastern religion. So I don't want to be offensive here at all, but I want you to be in the shoes of the Jewish nation, and they're watching these wise men come into their country, and they're kind of making fun of them because it's like these wise men are like those hot yoga instructors that are like trying to feel Mother Nature. Like that's kind of how they feel about them. They're just, you're a little bit odd trying to get even, in the words of my father, right? And so... Just a little different. If you're in hot yoga, that's fine. Although, ew, because um, like, it's just hot. Anyways, um, so, so that's kind of who they are. They're Eastern religion. Like they study astrology, which they're like the Old Testament actually says, like, don't use astrology. Like that, that's not a thing. That's not supposed to be your religion. And that actually leads to, so not only do we misunderstand them, I think the Israelites misunderstood the wise men. But also we have to remember as we read this passage, it's likely the wise men misunderstood a lot of things as well. And that actually what gives me a lot of hope this morning. The wise men probably didn't know much of their Bible at all. The wise men used astrology to find Jesus, which I think is a whole message about how Jesus uses so many different ways to draw us to himself, even if it's not through the Bible. Um, It's likely they didn't grow up learning the Torah. That was a very Israel Jewish thing to do. But they knew one thing, and that's what's so important about this Christmas message this morning. You only need to know one thing. It's that they knew they needed to meet King Jesus. And the hope that you and I have today, we only need to know one thing, that you and I need King Jesus, amen? And because Jesus came down to us, we can meet him. Last week, we talked about how the Christmas message reminds us not to oversimplify hope because we wind up hurting a lot of people along the way. We can't just say, oh, but you have Jesus, everything's fine. No, that, that's not necessarily true. There is a peace that passes understanding. But I love Simeon, what we learned from him last week, that there's still heartache. There is still, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean your whole life is perfectly fine. And I think that gives us a lot of hope in a weird way, because hope is complicated, because Christmas is complicated, life is complicated. But I actually want to kind of flip the script. And this week, what I think we see in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, Christmas also shows us not to overcomplicate faith. Last week, don't oversimplify hope. This week, don't overcomplicate faith. Because I think a lot of us actually miss out on the freedom that God so desperately wants for you because we have made it too complicated to meet Jesus. What I love here is the wise men. They're wise. I believe they call them the wise men because they're wise in all of the world's standards. But there's a lot they don't know about God. And that's okay. They still met Jesus and their lives were forever changed. This is point number one. Christmas has a way of reminding us that faith is not about passing a test. Faith is about placing your trust. 
By the way, I should have announced this earlier. It's so cool. If you hear like little kids, probably mine, um, but we have all family service today, which I think is glorious. We love to do this on Christmas for a few reasons. We love our nursery and children's workers. They're, they are our heroes They because we only have one service. They're not able to ever hear this incredible message. Everywhere. You know, I just feel so bad for them. No, they're able to miss out on the music and all that. So we thought it's so fun on Christmas just for everybody to be in the same place and to uh, not have to be serving on this kind of Christmas celebration. So I want to thank, first of all, our workers and those kids are here on purpose and if you just kind of walked in we have some kid drawing coloring guides over by that Christmas tree is that what I'm supposed to do Jordan and it's Jordan's birthday huh okay now I got all my announcements out faith is not about passing a test faith is about placing your trust I wrote down I probably shouldn't but it's God could have sit down an SAT but instead he sent down a savior it's not about this test I think a lot of us miss out on what God has for us because we think, oh, but we don't know enough. Let me prove it to you. Verse 1 again, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. Notice how it says after Jesus was born, so it's not the day he was born. Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was written all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 5. So what we know here, even by just a little bit of context, we don't know everything about the wise men, but we do know all the wise men saw was a star, and it was enough for them to start searching. And they actually have no idea where it's supposed to be. They have to go to the king and the chief, uh, uh, chief priests and the scribes and ask, what does your Bible say about this? I know I'm supposed to meet somebody. Can somebody tell me what your Bible says about Jesus? So again, they had to seek outside counsel. They were wise, but they had no understanding of the Bible. It's likely, it's very likely, when they heard from the chief priests and the scribes about the location of Jesus, that was the first time they ever heard Scripture. What a beautiful reminder of the simplicity of faith. Again, there's this pressure. You need to understand the whole Bible, get all this, and we are for that, and we believe that. But that's not how you get in. Get in is just trusting in Jesus, our Savior. One of the best moments, I thought about announcing it last week, but I didn't have the time, and I was kind of still processing it. But on December 14th, okay, um, uh, 9.18 in the morning, I just got home from my bike ride, one of my favorite things to do, and my oldest came, and, and um, uh, Faith, she's actually over there. If she's paying it, she's probably already gone. She's a goner. Uh, but, but Faith, uh, she came up to me, and my wife came up to me and said, Faith has some questions. She wants to tell you something. She wants to make a decision. There's something happening here. And so I was, I was so excited. And it's been so fun the last uh, year or so. Like we would do rides on the car and she would ask great questions like, does, does God mess up like we do? And I'm like, no. And explain how God is, you know, he's perfect and righteous and all this stuff. And the questions she would ask, like, was, was God born? Was this? And I'm like, you are brilliant. Like, how are you thinking through these things? And then 
if Jesus is with me, is he still with everyone else? Like, how can he be every, does he clones himself, huh? <laughs> like just the, the theology of a four-year-old is so fun for him to, she's like, I, I know he clones himself. And I thought that was great. But anyway, she finally came up to me and she's been saying this for quite a while. And she said, I want Jesus in my heart. And so as a father, I was like, oh, yeah. And so our biggest thing, though, before she's kind of said this in the past, but the big question we ask is, do you know what sin is? And really, we want to make sure she knows that she's a sinner. We have tons of proof. Amen. But we want to make sure she knows that she's a sinner. And so thankfully, this time, she's just like, yeah, sometimes I don't share. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes this. So she's talking about how she's a sinner, how she needs forgiveness. And the pastor in me. The theological snob in me wanted to give her like a 50-question test. Like I kept asking her, okay, what about this? What about that? And I thought, she knows she's a sinner. She loves Jesus. She knows that Jesus came down to die. She doesn't need to know anything else. Like at this point, like I didn't want to give her false assurance, but at this point I'm like, you have said everything right. Like you, I, I can tell in your heart that you want to believe in Jesus. And so we sat down and Another thing she, I was like, let's pray. And then she took over. Like as a pastor, I was expecting her to know that I'm going to repeat these words after she said, no. Okay, dear God, I need you. I love you. Can you be my heart? Amen. I was like, that's good enough. I think that's good. Boom. All right. And so we were in tears and we FaceTimed everybody. And it was such a good reminder, even as I was studying this passage this week, faith, which is her name, uh, faith, faith is not about passing a test. Faith is about placing your trust. And I wonder how many of us make it too difficult to receive this Christmas message. I wonder how many of us make it too difficult for your friends, your loved ones. Maybe you're here in this room and you've asked questions. You want to receive Jesus, but you feel like you don't know enough. The wise men knew they needed someone and they knew it was Jesus. I believe that was enough for them. Deuteronomy 4.29, it talks about how God is willing to to meet those who genuinely seek him. It says, but... If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, I wonder if we made this too complicated. The Christmas message is simple. Jesus came down to us so that we could come to him. We could not come to him on our own accord. We could not reach up to him. That's why God, the God-man, Jesus, the Son of God, came down to us. And he came What's incredible about the story is he came for the wise men, the Eastern mystics, the people from Iraq. And he came for you and he came for me. And that's the hope that we have. But I want us to, the the rest of our time, examine the process of faith that the wise men went through. Okay, like what, what, was, what started this journey for them and how does this work? And hopefully this can apply for us as well. Uh, let's look at verse 7 and verse 8. Pick up where we left off. It says, then Herod, by the way, kids are doing great right now. Wow. Y'all are good parents. Okay. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. I love Eugene Peterson and his paraphrase, the message he put, go find this child and leave no stone unturned. Number one, salvation. It's a churchy word, how you get saved, how you meet Jesus. Salvation starts with a search. 
If you're here this morning have never actually received Jesus, I want you to be encouraged. Salvation first begins with a search. Now, I believe there's many ways. We have biblical texts. We have real-life examples. There are so many different ways that the search begins. One of my favorite ways, and something, honestly, we've been hearing a lot around the life of our church, because this last year, I really feel like God has gotten a hold of so many of you. You've really grown in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Uh, even just a few weeks ago, somebody came up to me and said, I want to know more about Jesus, because the person who goes to your church, they've changed, like dramatically, and I need to figure out why. I think one reason a lot of us start searching Because loved one friends seem to change overnight, and you have no way to explain it except God. And by God's grace, I want to encourage you, share your story. Don't be ashamed of where you've been. Talk about where you've been and where you are. Celebrate all the wins, because God uses that story to wake other people up for them to begin the search to find salvation. So that's one way that I love that we're seeing in the life of our church. Another way is you start to see the insufficiency of your own worldview. In other words, you've constantly been running after what society has promised, and you're realizing that that doesn't really give you what society says it would give you, right? Like you thought there's got to be more to this life. You've done everything society has told you to do, and yet you're still left wanting. I actually think this is very much the wise men. The wise men from the east, they were accomplished people. Uh, In fact, we even see the kind of gifts that they give uh, to Jesus. We know that they were of wealth. They were called wise. This was the most prized thing back then, and I would even argue still today. Wisdom is what everybody's trying to attain for. And so the wise men were wise. And, And so I think with them, though, they did everything that Iraq told them to do and yet they were still found wanting. One reason for me, I'm really excited, like kind of. I'm encouraged, don't judge me, that, I'm, that we are in a depression epidemic in our society, because here's why. I think we're depressed because we're realizing that society's promises aren't delivering. And I think a lot of us, now let me just take a, just to be pastoral here, some of us, it's chemical imbalance. Some of, I really believe that there's some stuff you can't control, but there's a lot of us. It's simply because we believe the lies of the enemy. And I think we're depressed and discouraged because we're seeing how this isn't enough. And maybe, just maybe, there's something more to look for. We wouldn't be searching for salvation if we were satisfied with secularism. Not many people are satisfied with secularism. And by God's grace, he's using that for us people to search for salvation. My my wife was so nervous about bringing Trinity. Uh, That's my kid. All right, now. So, different ways the search begins. One, Jesus changed someone in your life and you start to ask questions. Number two, you start to see the insufficiency of your own worldview. And number three, you encounter a pain that is too deep to escape. Right? Just cheap entertainment and cliches don't do enough. And the comfort you once experienced from those things, you don't feel comforted enough. Let me encourage you, if you're in a time of pain and heartache, I think God could be using it to help you begin your search. And one more thing, can I just speak into this real quick? I think us as a church, we need to be more comforting and more compassionate to those who are in the middle of the search. Like the wise men, it took them two years to get to where they're at now. And I wonder how many people discouraged them within those two years. They might not have had it right. We don't know. Maybe they were going the wrong direction for a while and then turned around. I have so many friends right now, they're in the middle of searching for an identity. Some of them are literally changing their identity 
And we need to be a people of grace and love and know the reason they're searching is because they are deeply discouraged and disturbed because they are looking for something that our God can only give. And the last thing we need to do is to make fun of them, discourage them, put them down, tell them, oh, you can't pass our 50-question test yet. You don't belong. Everyone belongs in the church of God. Amen? No matter which part of the journey that you're at. And for the wise men, it took them two whole years. Some of you, it takes 20 years. Other of you, it's two minutes. Whatever it is, I love that God is so gracious to these wise men. And they didn't know all the theology, but they knew one thing. They needed to meet Jesus. And that's all that matters. This church will always be a safe place to search, no matter which part of the process you're in. Amen? Christmas is a call for you to search carefully. So that's the process of salvation, number one. I believe it, it, it begins with a search. This is point number two. Let's read verses 9 and 11. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen its rising. At its rising, it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, this is point number two. Salvation begins with the search. But salvation is sealed with surrender. Salvation is sealed with surrender. It's not about passing a test. It's about placing your trust. And the way we place our trust is to surrender to King Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine you have these wealthy, wise men. Did my wife leave the room because Trinity? Anyway, wherever Selah is, if Selah is in the room, she's two. Jesus was two. I can't imagine praising anything that's like that. You know what I'm saying? And I love Selah. She is the best. But she ain't God. Let's for sure. Maybe the other thing. But, you know, like, no way. And this is what's crazy about the wise men. They saw a two-year-old baby that was Google. Well, they, she talks. But, you know, that was just kind of talking. And they worshipped a two-year-old baby. That is a Christmas miracle. Amen? Amen. I think it's a miracle if I'm around a two-year-old baby and I don't want to spank him. That's a miracle. This is a miracle, not only but to worship him. So I want us to see here, for the time that we have left, I want us to see how these gifts are actually a picture of how we surrender. So it's really cool that they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We'll talk about at the end why that's so, so significant. But I want us to first see what all of those mean. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, gold. So this is the first thing. So first of all, these gifts are a picture of how we surrender. It's actually a picture of you and me and how we approach God. So number one, it's on your notes. Gold represents wisdom and the mind. Gold represents the mind. Okay? So these wise men, remember this, they were known for their mind. And so this is a picture. I, want, I don't want us to miss this. The wise men were saying, this is the thing that represents us. This is how everyone knows us. And I'm laying it down at your feet. The mind. For us, as followers of the way, we're constantly saying, let's give our minds to Jesus. That's an initial thing. Jesus, like, I'm surrendering to you. But also, this is a daily thing, right? Like, I'm going to fill up my mind with your stuff, right? With your will, your way, your word. The frankincense actually represents the soul. 
Frankincense, if you've ever been, um, or I'm grateful, I've been to Asia like six different times, and there's always incense burning everywhere. And with the incense they were doing it, you only burnt incense because you were, praising, you were praying to a god. Or even in this context, you were praying to God. And this is something you do to prepare your soul. Like this is your inner workings, and you're saying this is all to you, Jesus. And so these wise men were saying, okay, hey, baby, I am giving you my soul. Like, I am praying to you. I am surrendering my soul, my innermost being to you. And then the myrrh, the myrrh actually represents the body. Um, it's pretty clear here. Actually, it has it in John 19. It, Jesus was actually, uh, they put myrrh around his body as an embalming. This is what happens when you sacrifice something. You put myrrh on it. So when a body dies, you put myrrh. So what they were saying here for the wise men and for you and for me is we're saying we are not only giving you, Jesus, my, our minds. We're not only giving you our souls, but you are so good. And you are absolutely the King of kings and Lord of lords. I am offering you as a sacrifice my body. Now, praise God, the, the message that we have. We don't hurt ourselves. We don't do anything like that. What we do, though, is we give our bodies to the Lord by honoring the Lord with our body and doing things with our body that would bring praise to him. Do you see that? So I don't know if you ever learned this before, but this shows it is a holistic response to Jesus. I'm giving all of me to all of you. St. Augustine put it this way, our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in thee. I'm giving you my heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. We're talking about this in January. If this interests you, this is our series in January, The Jesus Pace of Life. I'm so excited about it, but let's talk about Christmas. It is a complete surrender to Jesus. Now, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it represents what we do with God, but also it represents a whole lot about Jesus here as well. So let's look at that. Gifts, these gifts are a picture of who we are surrendering to. Number one, the gold. What does the gold represent? The gold represents the kingship of Jesus. During this time, the only people who had gold were, yeah, I mean, that was described to as those who were kings and queens. And so here, what the wise men were doing, again, they didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. They barely knew anything, but they knew this, that this baby is the king of kings, and he deserves to be honored that way. And so when he gives him that gold, he's saying, it is your will, your way. We are in your kingdom, not the other way around. We don't boss you around Jesus. Jesus, you boss us around. Why? Because it is you are the king and we are in your kingdom. Frankincense. The frankincense actually represents his divinity, that he is God. Frankincense, again, you only burn incense to a God. And so when they're saying, here's frankincense, it was saying again that I give my soul to you, but also Jesus, we're recognizing, although you're a baby, you are also God in the flesh. What a beautiful picture. And the last thing, the myrrh represents his humanity, which foreshadows, again, this is what you do in the embalming process. They knew that Jesus was king and he was God, but also very clearly that he was also man. What's so critical in the belief of the Bible and what we follow is Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man. And I love that the wise men here that's pretty much all they knew, and that's enough. We partake in the greatest gift of all time when we surrender our mind, our soul, and our body over to the King of Kings who is fully God and fully man. You with me? You guys hear the... I thought it was Frozen playing next door, so I'm a little confused. All right, so, uh, by the way, Star Wars... 
good. All right, now let's go into Advent application. Okay, Advent application. So you have these wise men. Still with me, right? Faith is not about passing a test. We see here in this text, faith is about placing your trust. It's more simplistic than you think. And all it is, essentially what we see through these gifts is our heart, soul, mind, strength, all that we have to all of him, Jesus, who is king of kings, fully God and fully man. But I also don't want to miss us this, pass- this part of the passage as well. Our Advent application, if you remember, a couple weeks ago it was silence. Last week it was slowing down, waiting. This week's application for Advent is giving. There are three things we know about the wise men, and that's something for us that we need to partake in and appreciate and try to apply to our lives. Number one, they searched, and it took them a long time, but it was worth the search. Number two, we learned that they surrendered, they bowed down to him in worship. But number three, we see that they gave, or they sacrificed. They sacrificially gave to Jesus. And I was, I was wrestling with God, so like we don't talk about giving too much here because we, we are understanding that a lot of churches, uh, some of you guys have been hurt by the church because you think it's all about money, so that's the last thing I want us to be labeled as. However, the more I'm pastoring, the more I'm caring for people, I realize this is a huge part of following Jesus. And there's actually so much joy, me and my wife have experienced, and we've seen so much joy from other people. And I really think that actually this giving is such a great Advent application because it's so much like faith. It's simple, but it's still really hard. What I love about giving is you can't overcomplicate it. You either give or you don't give. With faith, you either believe or you don't believe. So giving, like faith, is simple. But that doesn't mean it's not hard. And so I really believe, like I was studying this passage, thinking about it, I think God is telling us, like, the more we give, it's actually an act of faith. Like, if you want, ha- if you want to have more faith, such a practical way is to partake in more giving. So I wanted to give you three applications. I don't want us to complicate giving, just like we complicate faith. I think there's three ways we can give this week. Number one, I want you to give with a joyful heart to those you love. All right? With... That's the big part. With a joyful heart, this week when you give to those, it's not too late to buy Christmas presents, by the way. Amen. Praise God. Van Camp family, um, what is it? Tuesday night special, right? I just right before, oh, shoot, my mother. I forgot her. Okay, let's go to Walmart, see what you got. All right, but give with a joyful heart. If you're not joyful about it right now, work on that with God. I'm not going to lie. There's some people right now, it's not, it's not the greatest depths of joy within my soul. And so I've been working on it. I just pray when I give this, I like really do want to give it. Right now I don't. But God, you have three days to change my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? But give with a joyful heart to those you love. So that'll be fun, right? Especially if you have kids, it's a blast. Number two, give to the local church. Now, it doesn't have to be ours. If you don't like us, I don't know why you're here, but if you don't like us, don't give to us, okay? The last thing I want is for you to give out of compulsion, make us like a guilt gift. I don't believe in that at all. I, I think God called 2 Corinthians 9, give out of joy, not out of guilt. Totally for that. So if you don't like us, again, sorry you came, give to somebody else. But here's the biggest reason why. I believe God has been so grateful, so gracious to us. The last four years, uh, we were working on our budget this last week, looking at how we hit our budget perfectly this year, which praise God for that. I'm so excited. Um, and then we're looking at projecting into next year. And God just always has a way to ma- just provide for us. It's insane. Every time we're like a little bit worried, God pulls through. Like I'm confident of that. But what I know 
what I even know with my own soul, there is a joy of giving to the local church. So again, I would encourage you. Some of you might be the first time you've ever done it. There's so many different ways you can give online at passioncreek.me or that's why we have our giving boxes. I don't want to talk about this too long, but I want to encourage you. This is the season of giving. And what we're doing here at this church, it, it's not free to turn these lights on and all this stuff. We're doing this to reach people and I really believe God is in the middle of doing something great. We don't think, oh, who's giving, who's not? We don't play that game at all. But this is an application, and I have to bring it up because I think it's very obvious here in this text. The way the wise men responded was through giving, and I love that. And again, we're not going to check if you applied that this week or not, but something for you to pray for and think through. Number three is to not only give to the local church, but I want to encourage you to give to the global church. What I love about Christmas is Jesus came for the whole world. And I don't know about you, but if you're getting really annoyed with politics and you want just the Lord to come, anybody just want the Lord to come? Like you've done everything you want in life. Just, all right, Lord, come. I don't want to die. Let's just do that whole rapture plan or you know what I'm saying? If you want that, start giving to the global missions because Jesus will not come until every tribe, tongue, and nation is a part of the party. And there are still over 6,000 people groups who don't have access to the gospel. We still have a lot of work to do. Okay? So... So Jesus saying, I don't think he's coming today. Maybe he will, and I'll be sorry. I won't be sad because I'll be in heaven like, whoa, I was wrong, yay, but I might be wrong, right? So this is why this year we want to encourage you to give to what we call the GoFund. This is actually a friend, some friends of mine at CBU. They started this program. Um, real quick, they're reaching unreached people groups. And to reach unreached people groups, you have to be educated because you go, you go in the middle of this forest or wherever it's at, you learn if they have a language, and most of them don't have a writing language, just speaking. So their first 10 years, you learn the language. You learn from them. You, don't, you can't communicate with them. You, take, you make their language into words. And then you go to the Greek and the Hebrew and translate that, the Bible, into their language that you just helped create for them. And then they're a reach people group. That's a lot of work, right? I have some friends that are literally doing that right now. They are the true OGs, okay? But here's what's hard. And I want to... This is why I think it's so helpful that we're giving to the GoFund. All of my educated friends have college debt, so they can't go use their education to do this because they don't have enough money because they're still paying off student loans. Thank you, America. Right? So what the GoFund does is says, okay, you're qualified. You're through the IMB. We love you. As long as you're on the field, we will pay your student loans. The only way that they pay the student loans is if we give them money then to pay that off. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage you. We have it online. You could also do it in your envelopes. Just mark the GoFund. Our online giving, there's a, a way to click the GoFund. I encourage you to give the GoFund. It will directly go to them to help unreach people groups. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm almost done. I want us to see this. Advent application is about giving. Because it's so much about faith. It's simple but it's hard because it involves surrender. It involves trust. And I think we overcomplicate this message. I think we overcomplicate what a relationship with Jesus looks like. It's about fully placing your trust in the God-man who came down to earth because there was no way we could ever go up to heaven on our own. So as the music comes up, I'm going to ask you a simple question. How will you respond to Jesus? For some of you, You've already received Jesus. That's amazing. So maybe, again, Advent application for you is directly about giving. Some of you have never actually placed your trust. What this story shows us 
is actually every single one of us, especially here right now because we've heard about the name of Jesus, every single one of us will respond to Jesus. But not every single one of us will receive Jesus. In this passage, we see three different ways we respond to the God-man who is king. And I think this is application for us, for those who have not yet put your faith or who are wrestling with giving. Number one, one way you can respond to this message is in anger. King Herod was angry. This was his kingdom. You don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. So King Herod acted like he wanted to worship Jesus, but in fact, he wanted to kill baby Jesus. And some of us, even right now, we're in a part in our hearts where we're angry at the thought of that there is this other God. I want to encourage you. Don't respond in anger. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Others, you are angry that I even ask to give. I want you to think, wrestle that in your heart. Why are you angry about that? What does God want to do in your heart to where you actually hear about giving and you receive it with joy? Number two, though, I think this is where a lot of us land, is apathy. So King Herod was angry in the story. But then you have the scribes and the priests. This blows me away. You have wise men who came from afar, right? I mean, hair singed everywhere. No, no. So they came from afar, and they were looking, and they're like probably just dead tired, right? That gold, everything they had that was nice is really starting to not look as good. Think Mandalorian, you know, just going everywhere, right? And they go up, and they go to the scribes and priests and say, we heard about Jesus, where is he? And they're like, oh yeah, let me look at the Bible. I know the Bible, I have it quoted here. He would be right here in Bethlehem right now. What I hate about this story is that the scribes and the priests didn't go with the wise men. The scribes and the priests knew where, but it wasn't enough for them to get up and go. How many of us are apathetic towards the things of God? We think, oh, I know that with our mind. But the wise men went a step further and also gave their soul, and they also gave their heart and their body. I wonder how many of us, this is not a guilt trip. Christmas is not about guilt. It's about grace. But I wonder if we can look inward and think, am I apathetic towards the things of God? Have I just thought it was enough to hear about him, know about him, even know the right location? But do I have the faith to step up and go? Do I have the faith to step up and give? Am I actually believing this thing with my whole heart? But my prayer for every single one of us is we would respond the third way. Not in anger, not in apathy, but in adoration. The wise men had one job, to find Jesus and completely adore this baby who would one day raise up 33 years later and die for all mankind and not just stay in the grave, but rise again on the third day, completely conquering sin, Satan, and death, and now offering that hope, that resurrection power to you and to me. I want to be like the wise men with my giving. I want to be like the wise man with my faith.